Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll primarily be looking at uh, Psalm 103. So if you want to find the book of Psalms, you just open up to the middle of your Bible and you'll be very close. Uh, If you see Proverbs, you've gone too far and you just back up a little bit. Psalm 103 is where we'll be. We are uh, continuing the series on depression uh, that I've called the Desert of Depression. And in these first couple of weeks, I'm talking way too briefly about a subject that is far too big. Uh, I am talking about depression from a physical and a psychological standpoint. Now, on both of them, I could spend an entire series on each, but I'm just taking one 25 to 30 minute sermon on both of them. Uh, Because I'm going to focus from this point forward after this sermon on the spiritual side of things when it comes to depression. What's going on and how do we get out of this desert of depression? And why is God allowing it to happen to me uh, or to my loved one? Those are the kind of questions we're going to answer from this point forward. But as last week we looked at how depression is a physical issue, uh, it's not a problem that you have with your faith necessarily. It might just be a problem with your brain because you are a physical human in a physical body. Well, this week we're going to look at it from a psychological standpoint. And by that, I mean a lot of the depression that we experience as people is not so much the the things that have happened to us, but the way that we see the things that have happened to us. Our own thoughts can become rotten. We can be twisted up in our own mind, uh, and it leads us to trouble. My favorite uh, band is 21 Pilots, and uh, they sing a lot about depression because it's something that the lead singer has struggled with a lot. But one of uh, my favorite songs that they have is a song called Car Radio. And the whole point of the song is that he wishes he had his car radio, somebody stole it from his car, and now he has to sit there in silence. And what he's finding is that the silence is actually more loud than any of the music. He uses music so that his mind might be quiet. And anybody who's ever lived as a human beyond the age of like seven can identify with this. The truth is, is that our life is never silent. And in fact, when we are alone, that's when things get the loudest. Because if you're anything like me, the voices in my head argue with one another all day long. I love being around other people so that I don't have to listen to myself. Uh, if you guys will remember back to, I don't know, probably the seventh grade, Descartes is a famous philosopher, and he's famous for the saying, I think, therefore I am. Uh, in other words, the reason why he knows that he exists as a human, this is the kind of things that only rich kids can sit around and think about. You know, how do I know that I exist? <laughs> it's not the farmers in the field asking those kind of questions. But uh, he had time on his hands, so he was able to ask this question, and he said, well, the way I know that I exist is because even when I am alone, my mind will not shut off. Now, that's a stupid reason to believe you exist or not believe that you exist, but the point stands that often in our minds, we are thinking. There's always a conversation going on, and what can happen if you're anything like me is that conversation becomes quite self-defeating. I am most mean to myself. I am most critical of myself. And if we're not careful, that in and of itself will lead to depression. And if you don't believe that purely psychological effects can cause you great sorrow in life, I'd like to turn to a quote from my favorite preacher. I mentioned him last week because he suffered with depression, Charles Spurgeon. This great man of God, great man of faith. And he says this about a time in which he was overwhelmed by the thoughts in his head. Says to my great sorrow, last Sunday night I was unable to preach. I had prepared a sermon upon this text with much hope of its usefulness, for I intended it to be a supplement to the morning sermon, which was a doctrinal exposition. The evening sermon was intended to be practical and to commend the whole subject to the attention of inquiring sinners. In other words, I had it all figured out. I was ready to go. I didn't think there was any problems. But then he showed up and this happened. I came here feeling quite fit to preach. When an overpowering nervousness oppressed me, and I lost all self-control and left the pulpit in anguish. Have you ever been there? 
where all of a sudden these thoughts begin to attack you and they overwhelm you. We often think that we're in control of ourselves, but then all of a sudden our mind shows us that we are not so much in control. We are overwhelmed with these thoughts. Now, again, as I've said, this is a short sermon for a very big topic. But what I want to do is look at one of the solutions to this topic. One of the things that the Bible teaches us. It is a simple topic. It is not an easy thing to actually apply in our lives. And that is what uh, the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones told us to do in his book, Spiritual Depression, which is a great book I'd recommend you to read if it's something you struggle with. He recommends that we stop listening to ourselves and begin talking to ourselves. The problem is that we listen to ourselves too much and we talk to ourselves too little. That, that is what I want to look at today. What does that mean and how do I actually do it? And Psalm 103 provides us an example of how we actually do it. Now, look at me. Just listening to this sermon is going to do nothing for you. You have to actually do this. It is a habit you have to put into your life. And you cannot just talk to yourself one time because your mind is ruthless. It will keep yelling at you louder and louder and louder. And what you have to learn to do is to have a little Blake in your head at all times preaching to you. Maybe not a little Blake. That's probably disturbing for some of you to think about me being with you all the time. But you need a preacher. You need a preacher who can take these accusations from your mind and from the enemy and say, those accusations are no longer true. I'm not listening to myself any longer. I am going to speak to myself. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will jump into the sermon. Father God, thank you so much for the way that you love us. God, thank you that you sent Jesus, and he lived the life I couldn't live, and he died the death I deserve to die. I thank you, God, that in him I have a brand new identity. Even though I might struggle with certain things in my life, I know that those things are not who I am. Who I am in Christ is a brand new creation no matter what my mind might try to tell me. God, I pray today that we would leave here with a renewed sense that you are not only the king of the universe, but you are the king over our minds. And what you say is true is more important than what I feel or think is true. God, it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Society does not help us with this, does it? Uh, More than ever, we have people telling us what we should think and what the problems are in our life. And we go on social media and we compare our lives to the way everybody else is living their lives. And what they do is they put their best part of their life on social media. And uh, we compare it to the worst part of our life. And we begin to question ourselves and the voices begin to kick up. Also, we live in a very blessed society. So most of us are not in the fields working for our supper anymore. There are a few of us who are still farmers and still have to do this. But a lot of us have way more time on our hands than we ever did in all of history. And what do we do with that time that is on our hands? We begin to think. And we think ourselves into a hole. Uh, in fact, if you, you think about the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3, the sin was not that Adam and Eve ate some kind of fruit from a tree. The sin was that they did not trust God and they wanted for themselves knowledge of good and evil. And what we still think to this day is that all we need is more knowledge. If we have more time, we can think our ways out of problems. But all it really does, the more we look inward, the more we think, the more it drives us into the depths of our own depression. We do not know what we are doing. And as I said, Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones says we have to preach to ourselves. Here's what he said from his book. He says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? And he says, it's your own soul that is talking to you. 
We have to learn to speak to ourselves. Now, I want to give a short word here on therapy. Uh, Just as I said last week about taking medicine is something that some people have to do. I also want you to know that there is no shame in you seeing a therapist. Now, I'm a little self-serving in this because my wife is a therapist, so she makes her living off of talking to people. But oftentimes we think of therapy as the people who is just for the most broken amongst us. But that could not be further from the truth. We all from time to time need somebody who can help us understand what we are saying is not true. Sometimes we get so lost in the scripts that we tell ourselves that we can't even see what is true from what is false. And it's helpful to be able to talk to somebody who can then tell you this is not true of you and can help you come up with better and new scripts. That's what good therapists do. Now, there are bad therapists. Just like there's good doctors and bad doctors, good preachers and bad preachers, there are good therapists and bad therapists. And if you go to a therapist who tells you the secret is for you to look deeper into yourself because all of the answers are inside of you because you are really just a unique little snowflake and your breath smells like puppy breath all the time. Run from that therapist. The problem is that you are looking inside of yourself too much and you are a black-hearted, wretched sinner. You need help from the outside. I tell you that because... I love you. Now, if this is something that you are interested in, we do have resources at Ascent where I can help you get connected to a good therapist. Uh, And we also have a connection with a uh, therapy center in Indiana called 12 Stones. They are excellent. Excellent. I would recommend it. And In fact, if you're married uh, and you think your marriage needs to tune up on communication uh, or you're having serious marital problems, I would recommend that you go there also. It's a three-day intensive. You go there. They have a house awesome food, and an excellent counselor, and they spend three days giving you the amount of counseling you would normally get in a year in three days. And they don't just listen to you talk. They start by listening to you talk, and then they tell you where you're going wrong, and they help you with direction, and they send you home with a packet of what to do moving forward. And if this is something that you're interested in, I would love to walk side by side with you, and we could talk about it further after the sermon. But I did want to put that out there as an opportunity for anybody who might need it. You should never, ever feel bad for needing uh, therapy. I like what Spurgeon says. He says, as to mental maladies, is any man altogether sane? Are we not all a little off the balance? And that is so true. You should never feel bad because we've all got our own issues. I display mine before you week in and week out. The laughter hurts. So how do we preach to the soul? Uh, we, We preach to the soul. Psalm 103. Uh, He says this, starting in verse 1. He says, My soul, bless the Lord, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all His benefits. We see right here, who is He preaching to? My soul. He's talking to Himself. The rest of the sermon is the psalmist speaking, not to somebody else, but to Himself, to His own soul. And what we see in this text is we see four different objections that he gives to these truths or these scripts that we all still believe. In fact, if you are somebody who struggles with depression from a purely psychological standpoint, I would guarantee you that these are some of the scripts that are running in your own head. Uh, In fact, even if you would say, I'm not a depressed person, I bet some of these scripts are running in your head because Satan really doesn't have that many tactics. He just uses them really well against all of us. And the first one is this. We can begin to say and believe that I am diseased, like I am a broken person. The problem is that this is just who I am. We begin to identify with our depression. We can begin to think that we are Eeyore. 
Uh, if you've ever seen uh, Winnie the Pooh, this classic film, there's Eeyore, and Eeyore is always very sad and down, and it's a part of his nature. You know, the sun is shining. Oh, well, I guess we don't have enough sunscreen. I'm probably going to get sunburnt. Oh, it starts raining. Oh, I don't have my umbrella. I guess all the crops will be rained away. Oh, there's no rain. Oh, it's a drought. All the crops are not going to live. It's just no matter what you do, you can always find the negative side of it. And that's what can happen. We can begin to think, I'm just broken. It's just the way that I see the world. And the psalmist says, no, that is not true. Soul, you better be quiet. I may preach the truth to you. Psalm 103, verses 3 through 5. He, being God, forgives all our iniquity. He heals your diseases. You might have a disease, but you are not diseased. God has healed that. Verse 4, it says, he redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you. There's a coronation. You've been given a crown. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. And for those of us who are Christians, we should know this all the more. That in Christ, we are what? We are a brand new creation. It's okay to say that I am depressed and I need help. But it is not okay to identify with your depression. It might be something that you are going through, but you are going through it. You will have victory over it. The day will come in which you are no longer depressed because depression isn't who you are. You have been made new in Christ Jesus. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. And you have to remind yourself of this all the time because otherwise you will begin to think depression is your identity and not just a state that you are going through. The second thing is that we can often say, I am hopeless. We begin to feel absolutely hopeless. In fact, uh, clinical psychologists will tell us this is one of the causes of depression, is that we begin to feel as if our life has no hope. We cannot see any solutions to our problems. Uh, But we are not hopeless. Our hope has a name, and his name is the Lord. That's exactly what the psalmist then preaches to himself in verses 6 through 8. It says, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. You know how I know that you will overcome depression? Because I know that the Lord loves you, that his love is abounding, and that you have to remind yourself of this. That no matter how dark it feels, no matter how far into the pit you might feel, you must know that the Lord is with you. You say, I don't feel that way. I don't care what you feel. (laughs) You've got to preach to yourself and know that God is with you and he will ultimately deliver you. You are not hopeless. There's a, a way to illustrate the difference in hope, a, stall, a study that uh, clinical psychologists did. And it's kind of an interesting study. They took two uh, college students uh, and they said, we want you to work for us for two hours. They told one college student that for his time, he would be awarded $10. They told another college student that was there that he would be awarded $1,000 for his two-hour time. And then they gave them the most mind-numbing task possible. I don't remember what they said the task was, but it was something like entering different numbers just for two hours straight. So boring. If they were to do it in modern day, I think what they should do is just make them watch Baby Shark for two hours. (laughs) And if you have... A baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Babies love it. I think Satan created it. But they said, you have two hours that you have to do this. Now, can you imagine the difference in what happened between the guy who was getting paid $10 and the guy who was getting paid $1,000? It's not hard to guess. The guy who was getting paid $10 literally quit an hour and a half into it. He said, I can't do it. It's not worth $10. I'm going on to do something else. While the other guy was whistling to a beat as he did this boring task for two hours. Why? Why? Because he knew what the joy was that was set before him. 
This is what Christ gives us. I am not denying that you are going through a terrible thing in your life. Uh, We all go through terrible things. But what I tell you as a Christian is that you ought to have a hope that the world does not have. Because you know what is set before you. And so when Satan begins to tell you you are hopeless, you remind him of the hope that is waiting for you up ahead. This is what the psalmist does. The third thing is this. We often say, God is angry with me for what I have done. I am all alone. This is what I deserve. This is what you can begin to think in your state of depression. You can begin to think that God has abandoned you because of your own sins. That it is your own fault that you are in the place that you are in. That the trauma or the thing that you've experienced was somehow God getting back at you for the things that you have done. And so it's no worth in reaching out to God and asking for help. Because this is what you've brought upon yourself. The psalmist says that's not who God is. And this is what you have to say to yourself. Verse 9 and 10. It says, He, being God, will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. And as Christians, we have even more reason to believe this in a way that the psalmist could not even imagine. It's not that God just hasn't paid us back for the sins that we deserve. We know how God has paid for them, which is on the cross of Jesus Christ. He lived the life that you and I could not live, and He died the death we were supposed to die. He poured out His blood for your sins, and on the cross... What did he say as he breathed his last? It is finished. Every sin that you have committed, every sin that you will commit, God has sent his son to die for those sins. He knows the sin that you'll commit next week. And you might not be able to believe that God has forgiven you, that God is with you, and God has given you a hope. But it doesn't matter what you believe. You need to preach the promise to yourself. This is what God has said is true. Romans 8.1 This is, if you're going to memorize one verse in the Bible, this might be one to memorize. Therefore, there is now no, how much? No. In the Greek, you know what that means? It means no. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He goes on at the end of chapter 8, verses 33 and 34 to say this. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God who intercedes for us. On Ascension Sunday, what an important truth to remember. What are we celebrating on Ascension Sunday? We're celebrating that Jesus has ascended to the throne above Satan, above you, above all of the rulers and authorities of this planet. And you know what he says? He says, you are mine and you are forgiven. It does not matter what you think because the king of the universe has declared you forgiven. There is no condemnation. No accusation that you bring against yourself, no accusation that anybody else brings against you counts for anything because the king of kings has called you his own and he has said that you are forgiven. You might not feel it, but it is the truth. I love how the the psalmist goes even deeper into this, verses 11 through 13, as he talks about the sin and what God has done with it. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far are your sins? Well, God took them all the way until the east becomes the west. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I like what Doug Wilson says about this verse. He says, if you want to find your sins again, you are going to have to travel the entire circumference of the circle, looking for whatever corner he put them in. But there is no corner. 
I really identify with this because I lose everything. I think my spiritual gift is the ability to lose things. I could be sitting there with the remote in my hand, not get up from the chair, and yet not find the remote. My wife has to come in and she'll find the remote in the backyard. I mean, it makes no sense how good I am at losing stuff. And I can't find it. Now, this is a problem I'm told that most men have. For some reason, when we are looking for something, our eyes can't see what our wives see. This is how so often I feel when Taylor says, can you find this for me? And I'm looking all around in the pantry. I'm looking up and down and around and I cannot find it no matter where I look. Well, the psalmist says that's how God is with your sin. If you want to know what God did with your sin, it's just like that. You're looking all around. You can look everywhere. You can travel until the east becomes the west and the west becomes the east and you will never find it. You're just going to be like a NASCAR driver doing circles around the globe trying to find your sin. It is gone, paid for. It is finished. The reason why I preach this with such uh, zeal in my voice is because I know it's so hard for many of us to believe. How easy is it to accuse yourself? How easy is it to believe that you are unlovable, too far from God's love and too far from God's grace? If you're anything like me, it is very easy. Uh, Number four is it all depends on me. Now, this is one of the the biggest causes of depression, I believe, uh, and anxiety in our lives. Anxiety is one of the things that ultimately turns into depression. You're anxious, you're anxious, you're anxious, and ultimately you realize you can't do it, and it leads to a depressed state. This is why people go back and forth. You know, you're depressed for a while doing nothing, you get up out of bed, and you try to do everything at once. You, You know, if you know really depressed people, they will do this. They will go really high for a while, they'll do really great for a week or two, and then they crash for like a month. Well, the reason why is because we are vacillating between anxiety and depression. And one of the things that we, causes us great anxiety is when we believe that we are God. We begin to try to do the things that only God can do. Here's what the psalmist says, verses 14 through 16. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. And as a side, that verse used to always make me laugh as a child because in the King James, it says we are butt dust. And I thought it was hilarious that we were called butt dust. Uh, what does that have to do with your spiritual health or this sermon? Nothing. It's just somehow the ju- sometimes the, the junior high boy comes out of me. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field when the wind passes over it. It vanishes and its place is no longer known. Now at first you think, well, that's depressing. My life is short. I'm like a flower here today and gone tomorrow. That's actually not depressing at all. The reason why you think it's depressing is because you want to control everything. And you're wondering when you're gone, who's going to control what? You know why? Because you think that you are the creator when you really are the creation. And when you begin to understand that, when you begin to understand your frame, that you are human, that you are fragile, that you are finite, that you cannot carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, you can finally then breathe. You can begin to see things for what they are. You can do what you're supposed to do with all diligence. But then you sleep well at night knowing that God is going to do what only God can do. He goes on, verse 17, telling us what God does. It says, but from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren. He's going to take care of your, not just you, your grandchildren. This is God's job, not your job. I know a lot of mamas struggle with this, worrying about your children and then your grandchildren. Uh, all my grandparents are professional worriers. You know, they always find a way to worry about something even when there's nothing to worry about. Well, what is he saying? He's saying God is going to take care of it. Verse 18, of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts, 
The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. See, this means we take the worries that are supposed to be God's and we give them to him. That's what we had before the sermon today, uh, a reading from First Peter. What did it say? It said to cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. Now, that word cast is kind of a soft little, you know, here, God, have my cares. That's how we kind of think of it. We put it on coffee mugs. How sweet, Lord, just have my cares, God. That's not what the word is in the Greek. A better translation would be hurl your cares at God, which if you read the Psalms, you see people hurling their cares at God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, sometimes David goes in on God and I'm like, I don't know if we're supposed to pray this way, David. And yet that's exactly what he does. Why? Because God can handle it. I'm hurling my cares. I'm saying, God, if you don't fix this, I don't know what to do. You've got to show up. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my children. I can't fix this thing going on in my life. I need you to be God because I can't be God. This is exactly what Peter tells us to do. We're to hurl those cares on him. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, he talked a lot about the cure to anxiety and the, the real key to living in the present moment. You know, everybody talks about living in the present moment, enjoying what is going on, not living in the past with regret or looking forward to anxiety. And everybody will tell you, you know, it's all about your breathing. And breathing does help. Uh, but when, when you are stressed out and you try to do deep breaths, I'm sorry, that doesn't last very long. Uh, Martin Luther says, no, the key is to realize that God is God. He says it opens up your entire life. And he uses the farmer as an example. He says a farmer is supposed to work hard. He goes out when he wakes up and he plants his seeds. And there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to do that. Whatever we are called to do as humans, we do that thing. We do our part to the best of our ability. He said where the farmer becomes a sinner, where the farmer begins to lose his way, is when he then begins to stress out about the rain. (laughs) Because the rain is not his responsibility. The farmer plants the seeds, but then he goes to bed at night and he sleeps. He doesn't allow his anxiety over the rain to overtake him. Why? Because God is God. And when the rain is not coming, what do you do? You don't try to make the sky do something it's not doing. You go to God and you say, God, you have to take care of this. I trust that you are the one who gives crops life, not me. And you can apply that to your own life, but that's exactly what we must do. That is the key to living in the moment, to cast those cares that belong only to God, to him. Now, I, I preached a sermon to you. And if the band wants to go ahead and come back up, uh, I'm coming to a conclusion. But as I said at the beginning, you cannot just hear this sermon and believe it and then go on with your day. This sermon has to be something that you preach to yourself. I've tried to teach you how to preach to yourself. You have to do what I am doing right now. When those intrusive thoughts come in, you have to make Jesus the king of your brain. And that's exactly where the psalmist ends. says this in verses 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength, who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Now that word bless could also be translated kneel. What he's doing is he's saying, I want you to kneel at the throne of God, my soul. What God says is true is the truth. Uh, I wish I had known this early on in my ministry because I tried to help a woman one time. That was really suffering. Uh, She had depression that was mainly caused by great regret in her own life. And she kept saying to me over and over, I know that God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. I cannot. Every time I I hear somebody say God has forgiven me, that's fine, but I cannot forgive myself. And what had happened to her was when she was young, uh, she got pregnant and had an abortion. And the older that she got, the further away from the abortion she got, the more pain and anguish she felt over it. And it was eating her alive. 
And the only thing I had as her pastor to say was, well, God forgives you. And she said, I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. See, I wish I would have known then what I know now because I would have looked at her and I would have said with all the kindness and love in my heart, it does not matter what you think. It does not matter what you think. It matters what God thinks. It does not matter the opinion you have of yourself. It matters God's opinion of you. Amen. Because you are not on the throne. God is on the throne. And when we have these intrusive thoughts, we have to remember that Jesus says we are forgiven. You say, I can't believe it. You can believe it because Jesus says it is true and he is on his throne. So if I could have given her a prayer to pray to herself every time these intrusive thoughts were to come up, I would tell her to tell herself this. Self, stop being so prideful to think that your opinion of me matters more than God's opinion of me. I am forgiven totally and completely. Christ lived on my behalf and he died on my behalf. That abortion has been paid for complete and full. The blood of Christ has covered it. Enough is enough. See, what she needed and what I need and what you need is you got to stop listening to those voices and start talking to them. Let me end with this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. When you must say to your soul, why art thou downcast? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who is God, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the help of my countenance and my God. Father God, thank you so much that you have sent your son to be the final word. What I believe about myself and what other people say about me are irrelevant. It's your word that matters. And in Christ, I am forgiven. I am whole. I am loved. And I have hope. God, depression will scream at me that I have none of those things. But what I must learn to do is to begin to preach back to it. God, I pray the same for all of these people. And in fact, God, right now, I pray that they would begin to hurl some of those anxieties that do not belong to them onto you. And friends, if you would, with your eyes closed, head bowed, take about 10 seconds and talk to God in a way that you need to talk to him in this moment.